Today on the podcast, we are talking all about how food is information for our body. If you have listened to this podcast for any length of time, you know I love talking about how food is medicine and how big a part food has played in my own journey in dealing with inflammation and also in, you know, my family members and just that and more. And I just love this conversation. And Dr. Aaron Hartman is a functional medicine practitioner. So if you don't know what that means, we're going to talk all about it. But one of the pillars of functional medicine is diet and nutrition. And it's, you know, I would say probably the most important one as well. And just food and how it's processed and everything just plays such a huge part of our own health journey. And just just so many components to that. And we talk a lot on the podcast today about how you start researching one thing and it kind of opens a can of worms and you start researching more about how that affects it or just how much corn is in everything. And we talk about that on the podcast too today. And just really think you're going to find so much value in this. And as you heard, Timmy is trying to interrupt this intro. So I will wrap it up and we will meet Dr. Aaron Hartman. It's time to adapt to a plant-based palate, minimize waste, and respect our environment. Hello, we are Joe and Sarah Hayes, and we are the hosts of the Bowl of Life podcast, where we are encouraging you to join the plant-forward food movement. It's time for vegetables to move from the side of your plate to the center, and we are here each week to help you do that. So if increasing your vegetable consumption and limiting your animal proteins sounds like a win-win to you, go grab a spoon or fork and let's dive into learning more about how you can be plant forward. Hello and welcome back to the Bull of Life podcast. Today I am so excited to talk with Dr. Aaron Hartman, who is a board certified in family medicine and integrative and holistic medicine. He's going to tell us a little bit more about that, but he is also a published clinic researcher, and currently practices functional medicine at Richmond Integrative and Functional Medicine. I love how he is empowering his patients with information and resources to harness their own body's power to heal. That is so cool. And if you've been listening to the show for a while, you know I'm a huge believer in food as medicine. And that's why I'm excited to talk exactly about that, how food is information for our body. But first, let's say hi to Erin and hear a little bit about what functional medicine is and what even led him down this path to explore functional medicine. So, hey, Erin, welcome to the show. Can you just introduce yourself? Sure. Thanks for having me on. So I really appreciate it and really excited about this opportunity. Um, So a little bit about myself. You kind of already mentioned me. I'm a clinical researcher. I'm involved with over 60 different clinical studies. I'm also an assistant clinical professor of uh, medicine at um, um, Medical College of Virginia. And I'm a functional medicine practitioner. So I've kind of got a couple different things going on. Um, And, um, you know, with COVID happening, you know, being in research, being in functional medicine and primary care, I feel like this was just a big kind of um, whirlwind for people in functional integrated medicine, just, you know, to show people that, you know, it's more than just you, know, you have illnesses, you know, there's a lot of things we can do, nutrition, food, there's so much data coming out, you know, halfway through the pandemic about, you know, dietary things and how they relate to severe COVID. There's so many things about environmental health and COVID and D deficiencies and all that kind of stuff. And so I feel like, you know, we're in a place now where in many ways our society's ready. I mean, we need functional medicine. We need this, you know, um, you know, food is medicine, definitely I'm looking at the environment, looking at detoxification, all looking holistically and providing people with individualized care. I feel like we're at a place where if, if, if now we can't really accept that, that message, I'm not sure when we'll be able to. And that's where I'm excited to talk to people about that and just share what actually I do in functional medicine. Yeah, that is so true. And I think, yeah, like you're so right. People are a little more open to listening right now after going through a huge pandemic. And hopefully that continues moving moving forward. So why did you, you have quite a story and that kind of, I think from what I've read, 
kind of led you down that path of exploring functional medicine. Can you just explain a little bit about that? Like what led you to even explore functional medicine? Well, now, I've always been curious and always wanted to learn and do the best I can, whatever I do. But I think what really accelerated this whole process was when my wife and I adopted our first daughter, Anna, who has cerebral palsy. And, um, you know, that kind of like the aha moment for me was when she was, I don't know, about 12 to 14 months old. Um, kids with CP tend not to grow as well. They tend to have, have a lot of neurological issues. And we were kind of told she would never walk, she'd never talk. Um, that she'd have severe MR. And we, ne- we never really accepted that. My wife said, you know, there's something there. And, and my wife actually was her occupational therapist when she got out of the hospital. Um, mm. So, and, um, and so, you know, we you go to the specialist and the GI doctor that we're seeing at that point in time at the University of Florida. And this is when I, when I was actually in the military and I was stationed down there. Okay. And, um, and they were like, hey, you know, um, she's too small. Let's put a tube. Let's cut a hole in her stomach put a feeding tube in and so you can pour formula right into her stomach and she'll fatten right up. Oh. And, um, you know, talking to my wife, you know, you know, how swallowing, chewing food, swallowing, using your tongue, how important that is for speech development with kids, how like if she has a tube in her side, it's going to affect her ability to crawl, to learn how to crawl. And so we just said, you know, we just, we don't feel right. We're just going to opt out. And so, um, six months later, my wife, you know, we're researching stuff, found a, um, a growth chart for kids with, with um, cerebral palsy. My daughter was right in the middle of that growth chart. And that's when the first, that was my first aha moment. It's like how you know, the specialist, the person who's supposed to be, this is their expertise. They didn't know this chart even existed on my daughter. Oh, wow. You know, how was that? And that was the first time we actually just kind of veered off the path and were validated by that. Um, like a year later, my, my, my daughter has an, has an issue with strabismus where her eyes will kind of kind of wobble all over the place. And um, and um, the eye, pediatric eye doctors, let's cut those muscles and make your eyes look cosmetically better. And <sighs> and and some like you know that just doesn't make sense. Like if this is cosmetic, and the and I know enough about neurology and eye issues that they weren't tracking. And so like it's it's not it's not consistent. Like this makes no sense whatsoever. So we just found another pediatric eye doctor. I was a little older, a little more seasoned, and their response was, just leave it alone. If you want to do surgery, you can wait. And so that was the first time we kind of went against, you know, the mantra of medical care. And so as I kind of learned more about my daughter, I kind of dived into some of Dr. Annie Asker's work with um, SNPs and genetics and how it affects neurological issues. That kind of led me to stumble across some integrative medicine training through the AIHM, and then I found training through the IFM. And then I kept on taking these diversions, like I'd learned about lipid therapy and studied, studied with uh, Dr. Patricia Kane um, with like lipids and neurological mm-hmm. issues. Um, and, you know, studied um, some information from European sources on a pulse electromagnetic field therapy and how it affects neurological function. And um, TASIS therapy, which is a task-specific oriented electrical stimulation. Just all these things that every time I'd open one door, I'd kind of take a deep dive <laughs> and kind of come back up with new things. Um, and the, and the thing about it is most, if, if anybody's out there works with kids with special needs, how um, many PTs or OTs, they know that with kids with cerebral palsy, usually when they get to be about six years of age, they don't progress anymore. And they start to actually regress mm-hmm. as they grow, they get tight, they have tone issues. And so what happens is they t- kids tend to get surgeries to make them look better in wheelchairs. And our daughter who's 15 now has never had surgery. Oh, wow. um, she's walking with forearm crutches um, she won't stop talking, which is sometimes, you know, a little annoying, um, but she plays, she plays card games. She has a great sense of humor, you know, and even now 15, she's continuing to progress and we're still, I'm still learning new things. And so that was like what got me down this, this rabbit hole of integrated functional medicine. And, um, you know, I continue to learn and it's really interesting how, when you have your own child, I think m- most parents out there, um, kind of get this when you have your child that's motivating you. There's really not you can't work hard enough. You can't work long enough. There's no there's nothing you're not willing to do for them. And that's kind of been my not just my spark, but like almost the gas, so to speak, on the fire. That's kind of pushed me down this way, and got me. And it's resulted in me like she, my daughter has resulted in me learning enough to start my own practice. To date, we've had you know over um, a thousand people go through our functional medicine clinic, and um, and my daughter's kind of the person who started all that. So yeah. that's wow. what got me here. You know. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. And you're so right. Like, I think when I was a young mom, I think I read somewhere or somebody told me like, Hey, you are always going to be your kid's biggest advocate. And that stuck with me. And it's true, you know? So it's like, you know, like you're right. You're always thinking, what can I do best for my kids? And sometimes you have to go with what your intuition and gut is saying, even if it is maybe a 
like you said, a, uh, you're, you were a doctor yourself and here, you know, the specialist was telling you something, but you went, went the other way and it was the right decision. And it's so right. And that's the hard part of parenting, right? Well, th- the thing about it is like, I'm, you know, I'm a medical doctor. My wife is a pediatric OT and it was hard for us to get direction and, and find what was best for our daughter. Like how do regular folk that aren't physicians and therapists who don't have a medical background. How does, how does everybody else manage this, you know? And just part of, you know, what I'm trying to do is just get information out there. Like, you know, it's interesting when you know, my wife had some health issues, she ended up having, and she's given me, you know, even actually we've, had, we've talked with all of our kids and they've given us all permission to talk about them. They think it's kind of cool to hear <laughs> me talking about them and get on some like, you know, um, Instagram. My son was actually on Instagram thing not too long ago. So they kind of love it, but um, yeah. But just like she had toxic shock, you know, mm. and just to walk through that and she ended up getting some serious health issues. And it was interesting. It took us like a year to figure it out. Wow. And it's just like, you know, and I'm, and she, she's a smart lady. I'm a smart guy. And it took us a year to figure out um, why she felt so bad every single solitary month and felt like death, you know, and then it bounced right back. And it's really interesting. Like, I think part of the reason I'm trying to do things like this was just to educate people and to accelerate their learning. But with my wife, you know, back to her, she dived down, studied research, took her, you know, took, took it both of us a couple of years to figure out what was going on with her. Um, she went on, you know, you should never have family do your healthcare for you. It's a bad thing in general, but saw another practitioner, um, another, you know, um, a naturopath who basically evaluated her and basically verified everything that she had been doing, which was great, but it was three, four, five years of slow progress. And so how can, uh, how can we accelerate other people's learning so they don't have to take that long to figure out, you know, their path of their journey? Right. You brought up a good point there, too, because I think, you know, as North Americans in general, kind of to generalize us, we like things to know fast. And that's probably a little bit, you know, why it's so easy to go to the doctor and them to recommend, oh, just take this or do this surgery or do this pill and not really get to the root of the problem, right? <laughs> because because yeah. we want things done fast. We want to feel better fast. But um, and that's why I love that you are spreading the word, you know, to, you know, like, as you said, to um, help that go further, but kind of in these, you know, more functional ways, which let's dive into that functional word right now, because what does that even mean compared to, like, when you say functional medicine versus, you know, that traditional type of medicine? Yeah, I think, you know, it depends on what, what, where you're coming from, personally, culturally, there's different terms for functional medicine. Some people refer to it as biologic medicine, more like in the world of kids with autism. If you're more holistically minded, you might call it holistic medicine. Um, in Europe, they might refer to it as integrative medicine. Functional medicine, I think, is just a different way of saying those things, but that but you focus on research. So with functional medicine, you're looking for the root cause. You know, Why do you have diabetes? Why do you have chronic fatigue and fibromyalgia? So it doesn't look at diagnoses per se. It looks at systems. So if someone comes in with you know, fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue, which is really, really common, you know, well, the question, you know, they have a diagnosis, you know, not, that'd be the traditional way, the, the conventional way of saying, here's your diagnosis and here are your pain medications or here's your Adderall for your energy or whatnot. A functional medicine perspective would be like, okay, why do you have chronic fatigue and fiber? What's your history? What was your birth mm-hmm. history? Did you have a traumatic brain injury when you were younger? Did you have chronic infections, science issues, lots of antibiotics? Where did you grow up? You know, did you grow up in an area there were lots of pesticides and chemicals? Did you grow up in a moldy home? Did you have tick bites? You know, Um, it kind of looks back at your past to see how did your past prime you for your present and your future. And it looks at a systems approach, you know, how's inflammation, immune system, detoxification, and then uses that those tools that, that yes, you can have this diagnosis of chronic fatigue and fibro, but more importantly, how can you actually change your trajectory? So it's more of a root cause based functional medicine is more of a root cause systems based way of looking at care that's that's science backed. So um, the way we kind of one of the ways I, I word it on my website, it's, sci- it's science backed individualized healthcare solutions. You know, um, I think that's been, and you know if you're familiar with any of Dr. Bland's stuff, he refers this as personalized medicine. You know, basically, you know, you might have a title, you know, it's diabetes and chronic fatigue and obesity. Those are nice, but what is your personal treatment plan? So um, another way to refer to it would be as personalized medicine. But the idea is basically finding out what's causing what, treating the root cause um, to change your health trajectory. 
Oh, I, I love that. I love that finding the root cause. And I imagine you probably spend a lot of time with your patients then when you meet with them to kind of dive down deep into that history, right? I mean, there's no way, you know, there's no way you can do it without time, you know. Yeah. Um, I mean, my intake is two hours. My first follow-up is 45 minutes. I mean, my additional visits after that are 30 minutes plus or minus. I mean, and even then I'll be with the patients for a year and like learn things they never told me before. I had a patient this past week who's been having all kinds of gut issues and all this kind of, and I've been seeing her for like a year and a half, two years. And she went, and so she came back this past week, oh, she's doing terrible, her gut's all messed up. And then she's like, Dr. Hartman, you think me eating that bag of popcorn every night, you think that's doing it to me? And I was just like, oh. and we just looked at each other and started laughing because it was like, 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 how did that, like, how did that go under the radar? Yeah. <laughs> I've seen you so much. I've messaged with you so much. And that's where part of this kind of medicine, you have to learn your patients and learn them well and learn all the nuances of their health and their family and their environment. And, and it's, and even then, sometimes it takes you a while to figure out stuff, you know? Right. Yeah. I think, you know, like uh, the popcorn episode probably went because probably, you know, either like just forgot, you know, sometimes you just like, forget when you're meeting well, with somebody like vital information, you know, and later you're like, oh yeah, that was important. But totally well, it's funny because she, well, well, she was like, okay, bad. The, you know, she, she read that there's lots of fiber in popcorn. And so oh. she thought, she thought it was a health food. And I'm kind of like, oh, you know, have you ever heard of popcorn lung? Like the stuff on there can actually give you fibrosis in your lungs. You know, it's like the amount of fiber, how much is in the bag and oh, it's like two grams of fiber. I'm like, yeah, that's not, that's not a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and so, and then I was just kind of reminded me like how bad some of the messaging and advertising on food products is. You think you're getting a healthy food because it says, you know, heart healthy and it's, it's really not. Well, yeah, right. I have a marketing background as well, so I'm very familiar with with marketing messages and you know packaging and, and all of that um, when it comes to to anything these days. But uh, so you know, you bring up this diet and nutrition on your patient, and is is that one of the pillars of functional medicine, or where does that fall into functional medicine? Because I'm sure there's a whole host. Um, you mentioned functional is the same as holistic, and I know. Holistic, you know, also is about your sleep and movement and all of that. So is that the same with like the functional medicine? Well, there's, there's in the functional medicine paradigm, there's your foundations, there's your lifestyle stuff, and then there's the things called your ATMs. And so the fa- but the foundations are diet, exercise, sleep, stress, and, and relationships. So the foundational things, and that's when people come to me, they like, oh, they say, I researched this and there's this new supplement, there's this new drug, there's this new therapy they're doing out in California or whatever. And I'm like, that is all super amazing. But the foundations are foundations, right? Supplements still supplement, right? And so mm-hmm. supplement what? You know, what's your diet look like? You know, what's your sleep look like? Are you exercising? Are you moving? You know, stress reduction, your relationships. I mean, if anything, we can learn anything about COVID this past year. We learned we actually need relationships, you know. Yes, you might be introverted, but too much introversion can cause social anxiety disorder, right? Even in introverts. So it's just, yeah, the, the foundational things are foundational. And in the functional medicine world, there's five things, you know, diet, exercise, sleep, movement, relationships. The ATMs are part of this thing called the timeline, which is like your health history. So what came before your illness what triggered your illness and what maintains your illness. And so that kind of goes out through your history. And then there's just that, um, the social inspect the mind body aspect. And that's where people's personal faith journeys, their, their underlying um, worldview come into play. Like how, how you view health. You know, some people look at health as there's something wrong with you. Like if you're sick, you did something wrong. You know, if that's part of your worldview, that's going to affect your own personal view of yourself if you're dealing with a chronic health issue. So those are all the things that kind of go together on what's called the matrix, which is the matrix is putting all those, those things together on one piece of paper or one, one, one area as you think about someone. Right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Cause uh, I love that how you view health could change kind of how you look at it. That's really interesting perspective. <laughs> I, I don't think I would have ever, thought of that um thinking about myself like i hate getting sick like i actually had covid and it was i got hung over my head because my husband had it first and i didn't want to get it um just because i hate being down and hate being sick i hate it's inefficient to me being yes, sick. yes. <laughs> i've learned when i get sick the most efficient thing for me to do is just check out go to the bedroom uh sleep get my bone broth just drink it and sleep 
um, take my D, sleep, and just no one messes with me. And usually um, 48 hours later, I wake up and I'm like a new man. So I just kind of, I've tried to work through being sick before and it takes like a week to get better versus a couple of days of just kind of let your body, even cats, what happens with your dogs, your animals, even a cat knows enough. If a cat gets sick, they just crawl away and disappear for a couple of days and they pop back out and they're better, you know? Right. Yeah, that, that's true. And yeah, I did a lot of sleeping when I had COVID. My husband's like, you just like would disappear. And I'm like, I don't know how you slept on the couch, honey, because I had to have complete quiet in the bedroom with the door closed. <laughs> but yeah, that's true. So back to the, the diet and nutrition and and how that is such a big pillar, because I know a lot of my listeners are really focused on that. Um, you know, we try to be plant forward and are plant based all the way. And so that's always kind of at the top of our mind in how food is affecting us. And um, I've always, you know, thought of food as medicine, as I mentioned in the intro, um, just had a mom who was really healthy, had Parkinson's and always had put eating whole foods at the forefront in our lives just because that kind of helped her with her um, disease as well. So, so yeah, so let's talk about this because you had mentioned in a few of your own podcasts, which I definitely recommend listeners go listen to. I learned so much just after a few that I was like writing so many notes and you mentioned that you have to have the right tools to interpret like all these food trends that are happening right now and, and always happening, right? So what what is important about kind of having these tools to understand the food trends? Well, I think, you know, when you have these food trends or food fads or whatever we want to talk about, it, it's usually a trend or fad because it really helps somebody, you know, like keto or you know, vegan or some kind of interval fasting or, or something like that, you know. But the question always becomes, well, that's great. But it's just like this whole thing of like, you know, how do I individualize these concepts for you? Can everybody do keto? I mean, no. Can everybody be vegan? You know, I mean, no, I've had patients actually get really, really, who are too sick to do that. You know, can everybody fast to a certain degree? Well, yeah, but not, you know, longer amounts. So you almost have to know yourself, know your nutritional status, Um there are some general food concepts that are universal. And it's one of those things, there's an interesting, um, Dan Buten wrote a book called Blue Zones, if you're familiar with yeah. his work. And it's really interesting if you look at these places where people have lived, there's more people that have lived 100 years of age than any other place in the world. And you look at their food patterns and they're totally different. You know, mm. the diet in Okinawa is totally different than the diet in um, the Korea, Costa Rica. You know, it's totally different than the diet in Sardinia or the Greek islands, or even in Loma Linda, California, you know, which is another one of the blue zones. And, and so there's, there's, it's a little more than just, you know, eat my, eat my special diet. And the other thing, and, and you'll live for, you should be a hundred. The other thing about it is just, it's interesting how the diets change seasonally. You know, it's, you know, we, you know, even Boy Scouts know this, you know, when you go, it's in the middle of wintertime, it's freezing cold, you don't eat carbs, you need yeah. lots of fat and protein, because actually you make your body warmer, and you won't get frostbite. You know, um, the mm. first, the first British um, explorers to go up in the north and try to find the Northwest Pass to get over the North Pole, they took the British diet with them and they all died on the trip. They couldn't mm. handle the, the harsh conditions. The next group actually ate what the locals ate. And by the time they got to the north, close to the North Pole, they were eating basically whale blubber, seal, like very, you know, not you know, vegetarian at all. But they, in that environment, for that period of time, they needed you know, nutrient-dense, um, healthy fats to actually keep their bodies warm. You know, Totally different diet. Than what you're going to be eating, like where we're at. I'm in Virginia, where you know it's a pretty moderate environment. So I think you know, looking at you know, looking at the diet, the season, even times of the month, you know, our bodies are always changing. Our bodies' needs are always changing. So to say there's one magical diet that everybody you know can do, I, I think it's it's a little mis um, it's a mis misunderstanding. Um, I think concepts are huge. Like plant forward, I like that term because it, it's a very it's um. It doesn't come with baggage, right? It doesn't come with, right. you know, you say vegetarian. It's like, what does that mean? You know, because some people vegetarian means vegan. Some people vegetarian means, you know, it's, but like plant forward, like, you know, you want to eat, you know, Michael Pollan, you know, eat plant, you know, you know, you want to eat mostly plants in moderation, you know, you want, and so you want half of what you eat to be plant life. But one thing about, you know, foods, medicine is also foods information. And, you know, with the COVID vaccine, right? I think everybody knows what mRNA is right now. It's messenger RNA. Well, plants have micro RNA in them. It's actually inflammation, I mean, information in the plant. And when you eat this, it actually affects the 
the biology the, um, of the cells in your GI tract, the bacteria in the GI tract, and you. And so it's not just that food is medicine and it's nutrition and it's macros, right? You know, your protein and, and the micros and the trace minerals. It's also actual information. And so that's where eating, you know, um, as, as much as possible, uncooked um, vegetables, even like doing ferments. When you ferment, you're you're increasing the amount of information in that in that in that cabbage and that kombucha and that and that sauerkraut or what, whatever the fermented food is. You're taking the plant cellulose and then bacteria breaking it down to make it more digestible for you. They're making these postbiotics. If you've heard that term before, oh. um, are, you, are you familiar with that term? Well, I've heard of prebiotics okay, and this, probiotics, this, but not postbiotics. This, okay, so so okay, so prebiotics are like the fiber, right? So bacteria eat, you know, the fiber and they, and they, they make these, you know, postbiotics. Um, the, 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 um, prebiotic, the, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, let me get my words mixed up here. So probiotics, probiotics are the bacteria, prebiotics are the fiber. And then most, I think maybe some people have heard about, you know, short chain fatty acids or butyrate. That's mm. one of the many postbiotics that the bacteria mm. make when they break down these substances. So like in your GI tract, you know, making short, you know, making um, butyrate, um, propionic acid. These are short chain fatty acids you need to help heal leaky gut, to help maintain your gut bare, to help with your brain. You know, um, people are like, people are doing like, you know, um, ketones, ketone bodies, ketone acids for, for athletic training and things like that. And, and actually the bacteria in your gut, as they break down um, fiber, actually create these short chain fatty acids. So, so when you take like a fermented food, you're having this bacteria actually make all that together for you. And so that's even more information. Um, and there's a lot of interesting data looking at, you know, if you've ever, if you're familiar with um, stool transplants to treat autoimmune diseases and things, I don't know if you've ever heard about that. Oh, um, hmm. I'm not that. Yeah, it's called FMT, fecal microbial transplants. There's oh, a, no, know, wait, now that you said the, the fecal part, I maybe Yeah, I yeah okay, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> well, well, it's, yeah, so basically you're taking a healthy person's stool and transplant to a healthy person. It's changing their metabolism. Well, hmm. they did this interesting study where they took a transplant but filtered out the bacteria. So they left whatever else was there and they had the same outcome. So that's where this information is, this, it's so complicated, so complex. And I think with food, you know, food is so complicated. We're still learning about the phytonutrients and now how these phytonutrients, the colors in the plants actually feed different bacteria in your gut to change your metabolism, right? Like it's, you know, Every time we try to simplify food and make it into some process thing, we're removing some of the complexity. And it's just, that's one of the reasons why we just, in my opinion, we failed when every time we try to process a food, we try to can it, pack it. Yeah. Um, there's something that we just don't know about because our knowledge is limited. Um, and the complexity of these foods and, and the information they carry, how it changes our metabolism. So that's you know, a great concept, you know, food first, food for um, plant, um, plant forward, because there's just so much information in plant life. Yeah, that's so true. I know. It's like you said earlier, like you start down researching one thing and suddenly like it's like a can of worms, right? <laughs> like it just keeps coming and you're like, whoa, wait, what's what's that? And you're right. It is food is information. And I totally agree with you um, about how everybody needs to, you know, while being plant forward is great. And, you know, <laughs> I always joke, there's a reason mom said to eat your fruits and veggies, right? And all those colors, even if she didn't know it. Um, it is information, but I do believe, you know, that um, everybody, you know, needs to figure out what works for, for them um, and, and what their own health system, you know, is going on because all of us are created differently, right? We all yeah. have different uh, makeup and like you said, histories um, going on in our bodies that's going to be a little slightly different for everybody. And uh, yeah, totally also different. We also have different imbalances. It's, it's just amazing how many patients I've seen in the last um, three, four months I've checked a fatty acid panel on them, which is, it's a test to look at the balance of omega-3s, omega-6s, saturated fats, trans fats, actually in your, in your red blood cells. And there's so many people I'm seeing with low ALA, which is the primary um, omega-3, low GLA, low linoleic acid, which is which are some of your most important omega-6s. And it's like how... Are people and even saturated fats, which you know, forty percent of your cell structure actually is saturated fats. I mean, these these things are required for the structure mm. of your cell membranes, and people be deficient in that. It's like, how is that even possible? But it's just with our processed food diet, people have been still mm. focused on low fat. So many people still think fat's bad, 
right. need to avoid it. I'm like, you know, your brain's 80% fat. Like, how can it be bad? Like, you know, um, it's just, it's, it's like bad fats are bad. Good fats are good. You know, bad food is bad and good food is good. Right. And, you know, I think that's, you know, something I talk to patients a lot about just, you know, and understanding what, how do you figure out what, what foods are good and what foods are bad. Right. Yeah. And I, I want to touch on that processed food, but first I want to ask you, because I know in the plant-based world and you've probably heard of this, um, you know, there's kind of two sides to oil. Like there's a lot of people who think the oil is, is bad, but then are you leaving out a bunch of getting those healthy fats? Like, what is your opinion on that? Well, I mean, oil, I mean, again, you know, Bad oil is bad and good oil is good. It's just like you take fish oil, for example. Omega-3s, I mean, you could, we could talk for a long time about the use of omega-3s for ADHD. There's actually a prescription drug called Bayerin, which is just DHA. Um, using omega-3s, actually, with some of the COVID stuff, there's data with, you know, omega-3s to decrease the cytokine storm in COVID. You know, um, omega-3s are important for, like, the omega-3s and 6s make these anti-inflammatory molecules class 3 and class 6 prostaglandins. So you, you need... Mm. Super, super important, right? But you know, omega-3s actually oxidize really fast. So when you take that fish you just made a yummy dinner with and you sit in your fridge for three days and eat it, you know, you kind of burp fishy. That's mm-hmm. because those omega-3s have oxidized and become rancid. Mm-hmm. So you can have something that's really healthy, but then you, you, you get canned fish that's been superheated and you eat it and you get you burp a little fishy. Well, that's because that oil, that omega-3 in that fish has actually become oxidized or rancid or you get your you ever, you ever take your people take their official capsules and they burp fishy and yeah. i initially told people well just freeze it and it'll go down far enough and you won't bother anymore what well now what i know is that the reason you burp fishy is because it's rancid fish oil oh. if so if you're if you're using a fish product that makes you burp fishy it's actually bad and so that's where i think the oil's like if you're getting a bad product yes it's bad for you but you know we we need omega-3s omega-6s these are essential fatty acids efas right so what does that mean? It means they're essential. And the baseline, the, the um, ALA and the LA are the, are the essential omega-3s and 6s. We cannot make that. You have to consume that somewhere. And the problem in humans is that we're ter- we do a terrible job. Um, it's almost like we, we, can only, we convert like 10 times, 10, only 10% of the ALA we consume do we end up converting to EPA, which is eicosapentaenoic acid, which is what people typically think about in fish oil. Um, poor conversion. So even though you might eat a lot of seeds with ALA, you still need to get some from some kind of animal source because we're really, really poor. And a lot of people are poor converters. And so all of a sudden now it's like, you know, these things are essential saturated fats, which have been, you know, demonized for years. 40% of your cell structure are saturated fats. So what saturated fats do is, you know, you want your cells to be flexible enough so they can move through, be really flexible um, cells actually vibrate. And there's actually an internal energy in your cell membranes that actually improves receptor function, improves hormone function, improves all these cell signaling molecules. It's like this internal energy in your in your in, your, in the structure that's determined by these fatty acids. Well, you need enough structure and rigidity, which is saturated fats, but you need enough flexibility, which is what your omega threes and sixes provide. If that gets imbalanced, that affects hormone function. It's, it affects cell signaling. It affects production of these inflammatory molecules. So these things are critically important for our health. And it, part of me wonders if part of the, one of the many, many, many issues with some of the chronic health issues we're seeing now is because is people having essential fatty acid deficiencies, um, healthy saturated fat deficiencies and replacing them with trans fats, oxidized fats, lipid rafts. These are all the kind of fats you get um, either from internal oxidation from your, from being unhealthy or from external, from this is the food you eat. And the result is your body's natural hormones, immune system doesn't work quite as well. So, I mean, these things people need to understand that fats are essential without your brain is mostly fat. The lining, the insulation of all your nerves is actually phospholipids is actually fat. Myelin is made out of fat. You know, um, your skin actually requires a lot of omega-6s. You know, a lot of people with dry skin, cracked skin, eczema actually have um, omega-6 deficiencies. So it's balance, you know, getting the right amounts of all those, not too much of one, and not consuming processed rancid orals. You know, one, one, I'll, I'll stop with this this one thing here real quick. Um, you know, um, margarine. What's margarine? Margarine is a partially plasticized um, plant, a plant or vegetable oil. You know, plastic is you take petroleum out of the ground, you plasticize and make it hard, right? Mm-hmm. You know, like on a computer. Well, that's what happens with margarine. A lot of these processed orals, you partially plasticize them. 
Does that sound good to have yeah. that in your brain and your neurons and your heart um, cells and in your in your arteries that control where blood go? And the answer is no. So um, I think that's why I kind of think I kind of help patients visualize. You know, these processed oils are partially plasticized, which is the reason why they have a one, two, three, ten-year shelf life. Right. But when things go in your cells, they're not supposed to last that long. Your body's supposed to recycle, reprocess, kick them out, and you consume more. Right. Yeah. And in our, and I always, um, the margarine is a good example because I always tell people like, Hey, shop the perimeter of the store, but Hey, that is where the margarine is located too. You know, like, so yes, definitely, you know, you know, it's unavoidable, unavoidable rather to go down the middle aisle at some point. Um, but you know, I think we always think of, okay, the processed foods, those are the, the chip aisle, you know, all, all of that stuff, the, you know, bread aisle and all of that. But I think, you know, we often don't think that, well, you know, like the margarine, that's a processed food, um, you know, and even other things. So like, what are some, you know, cause I, want to say um like would even like something like corn and all everything like that would that be processed just the way it's being shipped and you know farmed and all of that or you know like is there any hope (laughs) (laughs) i mean i think you know it's that's where you know conversations like this can be super helpful and it's a process it took me years and years of learning education to learn a lot And, and let's talk about corn real quick you know so, you know, there's this thing called cretinism that um, occurred in, in the early 1900s in France from eating corn. For a while, corn was banned from mm. France. Mm. Um, kids were getting a B vitamin deficiency from eating corn. Oh. But why didn't the Aztecs get this or the Mayans get yeah. this exact same thing? Well, because when they made their corn, they took it and they crushed it on limestone. And mm. the alkaline in the lime actually pull out the thiamine from the corn. So they didn't get that same issue. So it's not just the food per se. It's also how you extract the nutrition before you consume it. But take corn. Um, corn's a genetically modified food. It's actually genetically modified to have a thing called a BT toxin. Well, BT toxin is a, the, the plant makes its own pesticide. Okay. Mm-hmm. And there's something interesting about that is that um, when your body, when you consume plants and you consume things, the genetic material that actually gets in your microbiome, there's this gene sharing thing that goes all the time. And this is one of the ways you actually um, – sentinelize or check your environment is by sharing the genes of whatever's in your environment. Well, there's an interesting study looking at um, in Canada, a population of people who had not consumed any GMO corn for two years, they still had marker, trace markers of the BT toxin in oh. their system. And so the question is, well, where'd that come from? And one of the researchers was like, probably felt this in the bacteria in their GI tract and the, and their little capsules had actually taken probably one of the, um, the DNA for the BT toxin and just to put it into the the DNA structure and, and they're actually their own microbiome was producing it. And that's scary and cool because that's how one of the ways we can live in any environment in the world. And we can, we can, you know, you can be a kid in Malawi and have certain B vitamin deficiencies, but you'll have different bacteria in your gut that actually make certain, these make the B vitamins that are deficient in your, in your diet. So, so you got corn, you have the BT toxin. Well, then it's also spread glyphosate. Well, glyphosate, you know, I don't think a lot of people realize that glyphosate is mostly a petroleum distillate. Mm. And, there's, and there's a there's a controversy like what is it the is it the the glyphosate which is actually has a patent as an antimicrobial is is that the worst part or is it the petroleum distillates mm. that you're consuming mm. that are um, that are have different solvents is that the worst part of it and then you take so then you got the corn and then they process it when they process it <clears throat> you take the whole away take the fiber away now it's in the processing part you lose a lot of the B, you know, a lot of these B vitamins are heat sensitive. Your mm. fat soluble vitamins are heat sensitive, you know, and you lose a lot of nutrition. So now you, you, you're getting chemicals and toxins and BT toxin, and you're losing a lot of the health benefit. Um, and then we take that corn and we extract it, turn it into high fructose corn syrup or corn solids. Um, and it, it just is this unending cycle. We take the corn, we feed it to the chickens. Yeah. So now the issues with the corn are concentrated chickens. We feed to the cows. Your cows are ruminators. They have four stomachs. They ferment. What happens if you ferment corn or grains? You create alcohol, sugar alcohol, alcohol, right? Mm. Well, what does that do? That gives the cow fatty liver. It gives the cow prediabetes. You know, we call that marbled meat. But if that was happening in your liver or your yeah. muscles, I'd call it a, a, an occlusion by a muscle occlusion by disease. You know, and so all of a sudden now, one little food like corn is now permeating our food system, and that's part of the issue with these things. It's not just the corn for the corn's sake or the wheat for the wheat's sake, 
because all these grains are fed back into our food system, not just through processed foods, but also fed to the animals, we're, we get like a double and a triple dose of some of this stuff. Yeah. Wow. I think, I think we forget about that when, right. We're eating something that like, um, you know, what all went into, you know, that before we consumed it. And, uh, and it's just, yeah. And that, that's eye opening to me just to think about that. Like, so I know, like I've always had an issue with eating corn, corn, but then it's like, Oh, you know what? The corn tortillas I'm eating that I yeah. thought were good. You know, that's corn. Like, okay. You know, and all that is like, when we start to think, you know, more into it, it's really, we start thinking how pervasive it is, but, yeah. but well, now it comes back to where, where is, where's, do we draw the line though? Right. Yeah. Well, I think it depends a lot on your health. You know, um, I have patients that have mold issues. Um, it's called chronic inflammatory response syndrome. And a lot of them respond really strongly to mold and environmental molds. And there's a lot of mold in corn. So yeah. a lot of them can't do corn because of that, you know. So I think ultimately it's like where you're at your health-wise. Um, I just know with my family, you know, one of the first things we did with my with my daughters, my kids, and my wife, we, we changed our diet first. That was probably one of the biggest um leverage points we did to change the trajectory of our kids' health. My son, when we got him when he was six months old, he had terrible, his diet was basically formula and donut holes. Oh. And when we got him, he had terrible eczema, he had asthma, it was just awful. My wife would actually sleep with him on her chest at night because she was scared he'd stop breathing mm. in the middle of the night. His wheezing was so bad. Now he's 11 and his skin's fine and um, he gets a little thing on his cheek sometimes if he cheats on his diet, but he doesn't have asthma anymore. His eczema is gone. And that's for him largely been the diet. It's not been anything fancier than that for, for him. So uh, that's super important. And it's, it's probably the biggest, one of the biggest, if not the biggest leverage leverages in people's health that I um, just can't emphasize how important it is to get, get it right. Yeah, no, I so agree with that. And I'm a huge proponent of, you know, listening to your body and, you know, really kind of, okay, well, why, why did that hurt today? Or why do I feel a little off today? Or, you know, and I try to always be very mindful of that. And, um, you know, what works for me might not work for you, you know, type of thing. And even in my own, own family, um, my daughter has liquid dairy flare-ups and stuff, and which was a huge disappointment that it just really severely flared up right before ice cream season. <laughs> She's, yeah. <laughs> She's like, what? No ice cream. And I'm like, we will find some really good dairy free. <laughs> well, I mean, well, the thing with dairy, dairy, it's interesting is that it's so funny because we, 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 you know, we get, I'm not sure because you're in Indiana, you said. I'm in Michigan. Yeah. I'm oh, sorry, Michigan, Michigan case. I mean, I'm not sure. Can you get raw milk um, where you're at? Oh, you know, I'm not, e I'm not even sure. Being plant-based, we have a lot of like almond milk floating around here or I make oat milk. So. Well, 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 the food chemistry is really interesting because with the milk you buy in the store, it's um, homogenized and pasteurized. And part of the homogenization process is you actually make water and oil mix, mm. right? And that's what homogenization is. You're changing the food chemistry. You know, if you take the milk, you let milk and sit it, right? You, you separate it out, you skim it off, whatnot. Well, the homogenization is actually making any residual fat, anything else. It's, it's equally missing that. And then the pasteurization, when they, when they ultra pasteurize it, you're actually, it's a, it's a light cooking process, which changes um, the protein structure mm. of, the, of the protein yeah. of the milk. And so a lot, of, a lot of what I wonder, you know, you have these cultures like the Maasai who like, you know, eat drink milk and cow's blood and you have a lot of primitive cultures you know some of the um dr El um, eli mitchkinoff some of his research was actually in kefir fermented dairy and some of the caucus mountains areas with these people these long-lived people groups and so you know we have data on people who've consumed dairy and actually are very very long-lived my, my thing going back to you know food and, and these things is is it milk is bad or is it all the things we do to it you know? yeah um, the way we process it, the, you know, we give cows recombinant bovine growth hormone, we inject that into them and they, you know, we give them, they feed them, um, grain, which they get glyphosate, you know, um, in the milk, which is a, um, neuroendocrine disruptor and antibiotic, you know, you know, how, how much of it is milk is bad or is it all this other stuff yeah. we're doing to it. And so that's where I think, you know, and once you get sensitized to these things, unfortunately, sometimes once you develop a milk allergy or a milk issue, you can't really un it's kind of hard to unwind that, but um, most ancient cultures, you know, I, raw, most milk was consumed in some kind of fermented product, whether it was cheese 
or or like a you know lhasa if you're from india or kefir or, or yogurt or something because the milk is actually broken down the lactose which is the most is what the most irritating sugar um was actually broken down by bacteria and it's turned into lactic acid and that's the, t- mm. the tart taste well yeah, acid wow. helping people are, are using acids to help digest food they're using you know apple cider vinegar with enzymes and so it's interesting and these these foods that you know, are irritating if they, if you ferment them or let them do their natural process, you know, with milk, you get raw milk, you know, I leave it on my countertop and three days later, I come back, it separates into curds and whey. Yep. And you can take the curds, filter them, get all the way out and put some salt in. It's, it's a, a German cheese called cork. The, the, mm. the milk actually self ferments from yeah. bacteria that are in the milk that got there from the grass, the cow ate when it was out in the pasture. And when you change that whole chemistry, when the cow's not eating grass, he's eating grain, the cow's getting antibiotics, you change all the chemistry in milk. And that's where I love the complexity of food. And I always am questioning, is it really the, the milk or the, or the bread or is it all this other stuff we do into it? Yeah, no. Whew. So agree with this. And I love our conversations. I love talking about this stuff and always, you know, diving deep into, you know, what is behind what you're eating and, and everything. It's so so fascinating to me. And and I know you have a ton of more resources that people can read or download on your website. So where where can listeners find that information if they're ready to to dive deeper as well as do you do only in person or do you do like um you know consultations for people who don't live in Virginia? I think people would want to be interested in that as well. Yeah, well, um, my, my website, which is richmondfunctionalmedicine.com, it's kind of like the hub for a lot of stuff. Perfect. Um, I've got you know a bunch of um, educational resources there. I started a podcast before COVID, and that kind of got diverted, so my goal is to finish that out eventually. <laughs> um, so I have some things that you mentioned you read there. I've got a, a, a book list of books I've read that with little summaries of, hey, this is, these are my thoughts about the book, just to give people some other things to read. Yeah. Um, got some blogs there, social media, I'm putting articles out and all those things. The um, website is the hub for that. I'm also have started a community because the reality is, is there's, there's, you know, if you count all the functional holistic doctors in the country, I think there's maybe, maybe 2000 of us. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. There's not, there's very, very few. And the ones that have actually done, you know, IFM training and A4M training that actually have got the board certification. Um, there's even less, you know? Um, so what I've done is, is actually create a community where um, I'm doing courses in the community. You know, we did one on resilience, which is basically the foundations of functional medicine. We just started Detox One right now. And so it's basically, you know, education in the community. People can ask questions back and forth. I've got, you know, a health coach and my nurse practitioner, and they're answering questions for patients. And then I do a monthly Q&A session where I'll answer people, people's questions. So I've kind of created this online community where people can come get answers. Um, you know, I kind of likened it to... Um, you know, the Lord of the Rings with Frodo, you know, oh. like it's his responsibility to carry that ring of power. Right. But he has a team around him. You know, he's got his Gandalf, which is, I kind of like myself to Gandalf. I'll come, I'll come in and say some crazy things and leave and people are like, what do he say? Oh my gosh. <laughs> and then the community and the coaches, everybody's like, this is what he meant by that, you know? <laughs> um, so, but it's, but it, it was his responsibility to get the ring where it needed to go, but he didn't get there by himself. And so I'm trying to create that community where people can answer each other's questions you know you someone might have a question about cooking a certain thing and i haven't, don't even know what it is and when you have 130 140 200 people in the community you know what that's t- tens of thousands of years of life experience yeah someone's probably gonna know yeah and so i'm and so my the idea is to, to harness people's own story and own wisdom in the context of community so the, the, it's like the three c's course community um and uh, what's the third? Of course, and coaching and coaching. And so just having the health coaches there to help walk people through. So that's something people um, are at a distance and want, want some guidance. That's the resources for signing up for that are on the website as well. Oh, that is so cool. I love that about the community as well as, you know, it creates probably a level of accountability as well to yeah. keep people motivated to stay on their, their health um, and wellness kind of discovery journey with, with functional medicine. That is so cool. We will link richmondfunctionalmedicine.com in the show notes on the website. Well, Dr. Aaron, this has been such an amazing conversation and I've just loved it all. I've loved talking about how food is information for our body and just all that kind of goes into that and functional medicine. So thank you so much for coming on. 
Well, thanks a lot for inviting me. I really appreciate it. I had a great time. And hopefully this, will, this information will be helpful to your to your listeners. I really hope you enjoyed that information with Dr. Aaron and are really inspired to start thinking more about how food is information for our body. And I just really want you to... Stop. I just loved that conversation with Dr. Aaron. I am a huge believer, as I've mentioned many times today in this podcast, about how food is information for our body. And I really hope that you are inspired to start thinking more about, you know, your food choices and, you know, how different things affect us and, you know, how even how your journey might be different than mine and, just the impact of all of it is just so much to learn and take in. And, you know, that is why it's so cool that Dr. Aaron, he mentioned this briefly, but I wanted to tell you a little bit more about it. He has a whole community you can get involved with. So even if you aren't in Richmond, Virginia, where he is, you have the opportunity where you can be part of his community and he's in the community once a month doing courses and giving talks, as well as has nutritionists and health coaches in his community that are there to kind of help you unravel all of this and help you get to better health by understanding, you know, your past and how that plays an important part in your health journey and, you know, what you've ate in the past, how that affects you going forward and just to help you make you feel better overall moving forward because that's really what at the end of the day right we want to do we want to to feel better have more energy get more rest move more and you know those are all the pillars of functional medicine and so I will definitely link all of that information that um how you can get involved with Dr. Aaron's community as well as just any of his free resources on his website his you know, different blog articles and podcast episodes. All of that will be linked in our show notes, which you can find over on our sponsored blog, badtothebull.com forward slash 43. Again, that is badtothebull.com forward slash 43. Thanks for listening.